In this episode, I speak with Gail Hamilton. After being born prematurely, Gail was incubated with 100% oxygen, and this caused her to develop cataracts at an early age, ultimately losing her sight at the age of 11. And following, her story has been one of hardship, resilience, and peace. And in this episode, we talk about some of these hardships, what they've taught Gail, and how we can use and turn our own hardships and imperfections into some of our greatest strengths. There's a lot to take away in this episode. I hope you enjoy. You are listening to In Your Element, where we uncover stories, thoughts, and ideas dedicated to helping you find your own element. Let's dive right in. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I am sat virtually across from Gail Hamilton. Gail, I am so excited to have you on the show. For those of us that are listening, why don't you give us an introduction into yourself and something that is exciting you about this moment in time? Wow. Um, (laughs) Introduction about myself. Well, I am totally blind, first off. And then secondly, you know, my quote sizzle reel would include things like, Oh, I've starred in two operas. Um, I was Mimi in La Boheme and Violetta in La Traviata while I was in grad school. Grew up in Indiana, in the United States. Uh, let's see, have, I guess, personal stuff. Let's see, um, I have two brothers and a sister. One's a twin that became blind because they put too much oxygen in the incubator when I was when we were born and I weighed two pounds. And they, the 100% pure oxygen is what damaged my eyes. I had partial sight until I was um, about 11, then I got cataracts. And then uh, music's always kind of been my passion, always inspired by my grandma. She's always been there to go, you can do it. So, so did that. And then, yeah, so did the operas and um, have a bachelor's in music, have a, in, um, voice and minored in piano, organ, speech, and English. Then I have some doctorate work in music. And then I have uh, another master's in psychology and counseling because I guess one wasn't enough. And then (laughs) I have two and did some, let's say, then I practiced as a psychotherapist for about 10 years. And um, we can go into any of that. And then, about 15 years ago, my life totally turned around from during the 10 years of practice as a therapist. I was, um, I think it was maybe a right path, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but the, uh, I was in a relationship and that wasn't the right path. So I was, I was totally suicidal and depressed and did a lot of psychotherapy to get myself back on track. And then, so then about 15 years ago, I, um, decided to write my book and I wrote a memoir, Soaring into Greatness. And then I built a Habitat for Humanity house. Um, Let's see, what else did I do? Oh, I was Miss Colorado Senior America and I was fourth runner up. Yeah, and I was fourth runner up in the national Miss America, Senior America competition. And last year before the pandemic, I climbed the Sydney Harbor Bridge in Australia. Spent three weeks over there in Australia, which was awesome, fun. Uh, really fun. And then, um, oh, then my most recent thing where I am today is I just last week auditioned to be a part of TEDx talks, and I'm going to be one of 10 people giving a TEDx talk in October. 
So oh that, my gosh. that's pretty fun. I know. I'm pretty excited about that. That is amazing. I'm so excited for you, Gail. I think oh, thank you. you are going to have an amazing time. And yep. I am so happy that you are going to get to share your story to a larger audience. I think TED is an amazing platform to do that. And I think your story deserves to be told. So I'm so glad that you are going to be doing that. Yeah, um, thank you. That is oh, an and incredible. I, and I've had 16 eye dogs waiting for number seven. <laughs> 16 what, sorry? Six CNI dogs, and I'm waiting for CNI dog number seven. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's Hopefully interesting. this summer. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, Gail, there's a lot that you went over in your story there that I'd love to, that I'd love to, to pick apart and touch on. I think sure. one of the things I would love to get a better understanding of is um, what the process was like when you started to lose your vision. Can you can you walk us through that point in time and what was running through your mind and, and what were you feeling? Great question. I was 11 and uh, it sort of happened gradually over the summer. And interestingly enough, I mean, I can remember some of the last things I saw. I saw um, we went to the New York World's Fair and there was a big... Oh, there's a big fancy word for that. It's in my book, but I don't remember now. Um, but it's a sphere. I, I want to say ionosphere, but I don't think that's it. Unisphere, some kind of sphere. It was huge. It was a big globe. And then it had, at the bottom, they didn't want people to see the, you know, holding the globe up. There are these massive cables and things. So they, they had fountains all around. And I can remember looking at the big globe and seeing all the fountains and the water below it. And I, I remember that, you know, and I remember... Um, riding my bike, and of course I remember crashing and burning. So <laughs> then I went, mm, guess I'm not going to do that again. So that was when my start was starting to go away, and I didn't know how come. What in my head was going on was, and I didn't know it at the time, but for me, because internal vision and external vision is located at the your brainstem, you know, in the back of your neck. So and what I did was gradually and without knowing transferred my external vision kind of started to go away, but my head kept visualizing everything um, as I knew life to be. So when I, when school started, I was kind of, I, you know, I was now running into walls and I'm falling over trash cans and I never had done that before. I, I didn't have a lot of sight, but I had, enough to get around and it's like what's going on you know and my parents they're not talking about it because you know you have to talk about it you have to acknowledge it so they didn't want to do that and so I I, I was confused like can I see can I not see because in my head I saw but you know I'm running into walls and knocking my teeth out and you know such horrible little things and so I took a piece of paper at school and I drew my name on it. And I, from the end of L and Gale, I drew a line down to the bottom of the page. And I said to myself, if I can see that, that should be ugly in my mind. You know, that's like not perfect, not right. And then I'll know that I can see. But if I can't see that, then I'll know I'm blind. And I did it and I couldn't see it. And I was like, wow, I guess I can't see. I didn't know how come. My parents didn't talk about it. Nobody talked about it and until about three years later. And then my 
I had one of those teenage kind of blow up kind of deals. And you don't even know how come I can't see. And and then they took me to an eye doctor and they're, oh, she has cataracts. And oh, if you would have found, done something three years ago, we might have been able to do something. But now we can't because now they're growing like into my eye, you know, kind of thing. So, but we never talked about it. We walked home, well, no, drove home, and uh, never talked about that again because my parents just weren't that kind of parents. So um, in my head, it was like, oh, that, well, at least it gave me an explanation of what happened, but um, we never talked about it. And wow. I still do that today. I visualize my surroundings and all that. Wow. Um, I would love to dig into this idea of internal vision that you touched upon, because I think that was really f fascinating that you mentioned that you didn't quite realize that you were losing your vision because you were building up this sense of what you called internal vision. Right. Can you can you walk us through what you mean by that? I for me now I don't know if I, since I had partial sight now, I don't know if all blind people do this it it might be like what you do in your dreams I mean who knows but um, for me I you know I have you sitting in front of me you know I have you I have you in short hair I have you know I put a little um, you know I have you nice looking uh, who knows what you really are but I get to have <laughs> you that way you know. <laughs> You know, I, I'm kind of having you, I don't know, you might be dressed up, I think. Um, you know, I get to put you ever how I want. And so, uh, and I do that all the time. I visualize my apartment, where things are in it, my, um, just my surroundings, you know, as I hear them, that's kind of how I put them into my psyche. And then I visualize my world. Because I people a lot of times say, do you visualize, do you see black? Well, if I see black, I'd be seen. So no, I don't see black. I don't see physically anything because i i have prosthetics now so um so i can't see anything there and people go well can't you see because you have prosthetics it's like, i guess i go why did people ask me that it's the weirdest question but i guess it's they think that people have prosthetic legs and they still can walk if you have prosthetic eyes you st should be able to see well no because when they take your eyes out they disconnect your optic nerve that connects your eye to your your brain and and that nerve goes all the way back to that visual center. So they have they they disconnect that. That's my brain's just so not doing that anymore. <laughs> so um, no, I don't see anything because they've disconnect they've disconnected all my nerves. So yeah, I don't think I I can't remember what you asked. Oh, the visual world. Yeah, I just visualize it all. That I think I keep myself from going crazy that way. You know, it keeps me more engaged in the world. Yeah, you know, what's really interesting is that I think we, we hear a lot of stories of people that may lose one sense or another and their other senses sort of become heightened. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting that your sort of internal, your visualization ability seems to have improved a lot. And I'd be really curious because your visualization has become a lot better does that mean that you have like better memory because something mm. that i've read about is some of the experts on um you know people who 
try to memorize things for competitions. Mm -hmm. They use techniques to try and visualize where they are uh. remembering things, right? Like you mentioned that mm -hmm. you you visualize your apartment. Well, a lot of people would say, okay, I'm gonna put like, if they wanna memorize a deck of cards, they they think, okay, I'm gonna put the ace of spades by the table. I'm gonna put the two of clubs <laughs> underneath the lamp. And then they go through this entire uh -huh. like routine where they uh -huh. would visually walk through their apartment in their mind and then collect the cards and that's how they would recite them and memorize it. So, oh, so funny. I'd, I'd be really curious because that's something that comes naturally to you. How do you find that you have, you know, like a better memory or like, what is that experience like? That's kind of hard to say because it's sort of like uh, sight when I was, people go, well, uh, where's your sight? You know, because I know it wasn't 2020, but for me, it's all I had. So for me, it was great, but it probably wasn't in reality because I read large print uh, headline size, you know, and I watched TV really close and I, I could draw and ride bikes, but probably not as great as you could do that. So my memory, I, I think I, it, it probably is um, because I, 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 I focus on, for example, I don't, when I get a carton of milk out, I don't just leave it there. I mean, I have before, and it's taught me the lesson. You're not going to see that to remind yourself to put that away. So when I get it out, I put it back because, you know, I do, I think my, and then I think it's coupled with my visual memory because, and then not all blind people are this way because I know some blind people that are very not good at remembering where they are in space and time and how to go one place. And then they have to reverse it in their head to go back. But I don't seem to have any issue. Like I know if I go outside my apartment, I'm going to turn right to go to the the back door. But and then of course when I come in, I'm going to have to turn left. So I remember that stuff. Um, I, I probably do remember, you know, things because it's because I put it in my head to remember. I don't see to remind myself like. I know when I get off of here, this is kind of a weird thing, but I know I'm going to go change all the linens on my bed. So I've left it purposely in bed. Now, normally I'd make my bed and not that I have to, but I do. But so in my head, I kind of visualize it. Oh, that's messy. And I'm going to, and I did that on purpose. And the purpose was that when I'm done here, I'm going to go throw a load of laundry in. So maybe I do stick those images in my brain to remind myself later. Now I probably could if I got totally busy today, go, well, I guess I forgot to do that. <laughs> you know, I guess that, that that little picture didn't stay in my head long enough for me to go do it. Who who knows? I'm not perfect at it, but I do. I think I do probably remember stuff more than I know at math. I'm pretty good about doing basic stuff in my head. You know, I just kind of go, oh, yeah, 49 plus 52. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, you know, so I, you know, I, I do it, you know, bam. I'm going to guess it's uh, 101 <laughs> without doing it. Yeah. But, um, right on, right on. Yeah, um, yeah. It is 101. Okay. Thank God I got that right. <laughs> That's went, awesome. Oh, I, yeah. But I didn't go nine plus, you know, nine plus two is 11. I didn't do that. I did, I sort of did a thing of, you know, 50, 52 is above, but that's how I was taught in the old days. They don't, I don't think they even do math the way I do it. I mean, the way, yeah, I do it anymore, but I probably do, it's probably similar to what they do nowadays. I, I do, you know, like two is above 50 and nine was one below 50. So that one kind of negated. So I just kind of went, eh, should be 101. 
<laughs> That's awesome. I kind of um, faked it. I kind of faked it. <laughs> you just had a feeling it was 100. Just had a feeling. Yeah, I just it. had a feeling. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, so, Gail, you know, one of the things that I find really inspiring about your story is you have managed to turn a lot of your adversity into uh, into strengths. And I'd be really curious. Um, it seems like, you know, people have a choice when they go through tough times. You can either use that to grow and to develop that into a strength, or you can you can instead let that um, lead to more to more suffering. Right. And I'm really curious, do you think that it's necessary to go through some kind of hardship to develop that sense of um, the kind of like peace that you emanate, like acceptance and whatnot? Or is that something that can be learned? What is, what is your experience there? I think... Um... You know, we're all here for a reason and a purpose, and we don't know what that is. Now, some probably depends on how you grew up and stuff, but I bet there's, I, I think probably we all have something to be with, or either physically or mentally, and that will make, because you know, none of us, are, you know, I saw a movie last week called Perfectly Imperfect, and I thought, that's really great. I don't think that was the title of the movie, but they said that in there. And I went, you know, we're all perfectly imperfect. And it's so great because we all think we want it. We strive to be perfect, but there's no way we're going to be perfect. And how do we cope with our imperfections? And, and like you say, we could either choose to be empowered by them or not. And I, I think that's there for a reason. And if you don't, if and if you're going in your perfect world and you have all the, 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 you know, you got the cars and the house and the fancy and the job. And then, but you, maybe you're still missing. I think at the end of the day, we have to find our heart. And whatever whatever needs to happen for us to find it is how we're going to have to find it. Now, if we're born with it, great. And then we can go off and do good and life is great. But there'll probably still be some challenge, I imagine, mentally or physically, um, emotionally, you know, societal. There's, I, I think, yeah, there probably has to always be something. And then, but I think at the end of the day, we have to find our heart and souls before we transcend back. That's amazing. Do you have any advice or any learnings from your own experience trying to find, as you put it, trying to find your own heart? How can other people do that? You know, if you're, I think, you know, you, well, you can, if you know you're missing it, some people don't even know they're missing it. Some people just are, going on life and they think it's great you know and they have no idea that they're just living out of their heads and our egos and and our ego likes that it says oh great because i get to win you know and so the ego likes it the ego does one of two things it will say you're either fabulous or it'll say you know you're nothing you know you always have been nothing you know you're always going to be nothing so that's the way that is and then you'll believe one of those and the the trick is to keep the balance be going yeah, thanks for sharing. You know, you're not right today. Uh, so your question was, how do we find it? So if, if you're aware you're missing something in life, in heart, and you, you say, there must be more, I must be, what what is that? Then I would guess I would say you'd sit down with yourself. Or, and some people, you know, like for me, when I was totally depressed, 
you know, I know there, I knew there was something drastically wrong and I knew I wanted to be happy and I knew I'd do anything to be happy. And so I went into therapy for about 10 years to get rid of all the stuff in my life uh, from childhood and, and, and on all discriminations and, and then just everything, abuse and, and stuff. So I knew I wanted to rid myself of that. So that's how I did it. And then how I maintain now is I journal a lot, which usually turns into my blogs. And then I, um, I write and I walk and exercise. So some of that stuff keeps me in touch with me. And, but, you know, how do you find it? You know, what do you want? What do you don't want? Um, you have to know what you don't want before you know what you do want. And then when you do find, say, well, I want this or that, then some of the tools, you know, you have to have the desire to um, do, to, you know, do whatever that is you want to do or to be whoever you want to be. And then it's sort of like, I, tell people it's kind of like learning how to play piano. You, you have to have the desire to play piano. Then you have to have the tools, which in piano is the bench and the light and the music and uh, the piano would help. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and you have to have the tools. So, you know, if you want to learn how to cook, you might want to get a cookbook, you know, kind of a thing. And then if, then you have to find somebody that's been there before you. Um, piano, it's a piano teacher. Cooking, it'd be a, somebody that knows how to cook and uh, a class, or it could be a, a church or a, a, a book, a, a TV show, a movie, somebody that's done that thing that you want to do, or that's going to make you happy. You know, if it's the heart you're looking for, then you might, you know, it might be spiritual that you're seeking out, you know, some kind of uh, denominational thing that way. And then you have to practice whatever that is, because um, you can't learn piano without practicing. And then you have to believe in yourself. You have to have commitment that you can do whatever that thing is. And then you, once you get it, you have to celebrate that. So, you know, I used to have music parties and with food and, and everybody play their song in front of each other and, and that kind of thing. So I don't know if that helps or not, but there's, you know, that's one of my um, ways I tell people to find their hearts. I have another one that says, just follow your senses. So see your vision, listen to your inner voice, speak your truth, follow your heart, reach out to others, walk in your, you know, in your truth and um, tune into your intuition, live a life of greatness. So, you know, that's another set of things I, I say. So I had lots of different little quotes <laughs> <laughs> or whatever these things are that I've come up with. I think that's awesome. Um, yeah. So, it, it looks like one of the one of the common themes here is you need to you need to find the tools, like you mentioned. You need to surround yourself with um, people who have done what you want to do, and I think community is an important thing, mm -hmm. particularly if you want to achieve anything. They have published studies where they've shown that you are much more likely to either you know, get in shape or run a marathon or make mm -hmm. any sort of lifestyle change if you do that with other people. And it's really powerful what that sense of accountability and support and community mm -hmm. can do for us. So I definitely echo the power in that. And it's really interesting to see how you've used some of your own tools to find your own um, heart, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm really curious. I want to change gears here for a moment and talk a little bit about some of the lessons that you think society can learn at large um, 
what are some of the things that you feel society still has to learn? And this can be around, as you mentioned, sort of finding your heart or as your experience, you know, as you've had your experience now losing your vision and the way that you've been treated by society, is there something that you feel, you know, society could be doing better or a lesson that we should learn? I think we still need to work on um, holding not just blind people, blind people in particular, though, because people were so visual oriented, at least here in the United States, um, and probably everywhere, but we, we think we just cannot function without our eyes. And yes, we can. Um, so they hold us up to low expectations that, oh, you can't do this. You can't, you know, you can't get out of a building in case of a fire. You can't tie your own shoes. Things have been said to me. You know, you, you can't have a job. You can't do this. You can't do you know, all the things they say you can't do because you know you're blind, don't you? You know, and then a lot of times we suck it in as, as truth and it's not, but it, but we, but we do that. Thank goodness I had therapy to help undo some of that belief system. But society and teachers and parents and families, they, they, because we're so visual, you know, you can't put your makeup on without seeing, like, really? Yeah, I can. Um, didn't have time to do that today, but I could have. Um, but <laughs> I was almost there. And, um, but they, they think we can't do whatever that it is. And, and, and we can't, we just do it differently. So, when I do mascara, I put my finger by my nose and I, you know, I do it this way, you know, so there's tricks. So you don't, you know, run it all over your face. <laughs> you know? And even then I still might, but, but at least there's an attempt to do it. Um, but it's, you know, I just do whatever that it is differently. So holding us up to the same expectation as they would anyone else. And I think that goes with, you know, different races and different religions. And no matter what it is, we all at the end of the day are humans. And we all at the end of the day just want love. And we all at the end of the day want to be treated with respect and value. And as we are, and we're all different and we're all, and we're all okay for being who we are. And just let me be me. I'm not greater than you. I'm not less than you. I'm just me. And I just want to be treated the same way you treat anybody else. I think that is really inspiring. You know, I love what you're saying. Treat people without the assumption that they can't, you know, don't make the assumption that someone is less able. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I love that. You know, I think an issue here that a lot of people face is, I think it's quite a natural thing when you may have not had as much experience um, or much awareness um, when it comes to someone who may have a disability, maybe you're just not quite sure how to, um, you know, you're just not aware that, you know, oh, no, we should, like, you know, just treat them Help like them anyone out. else, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, a lot of people think, you know, I think a lot of people just aren't, don't have the education, they're just not mm -hmm. aware, right? And right. Um, maybe it's something that we need to fix in the way that we're educated and, I think it's really interesting to to hear your your perspective on this, um, and I think a lot of people need to need to need to hear that. Um, so that's 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 really interesting. Um, and the other thing about that is, if it's like you don't know what to do because you're around us for the first time, you go, "Oh my gosh, 
you know, I just said, see, you know, watch TV, you know, and the people get, oh, oh my gosh, I can't say that. It's like, I watch TV and I just watch it with my ears, you know, but, you know, and then for me, because I visualize everything, I, I just visualize it. But, uh, you know, it's not the same as yours, but hey, works for me. But use the same language. But it's if it's in your head, you don't know what to do. If you see a blind, for example, we use blind because that's who I am. But if you see us wandering around and you think, is she lost or is she not? Gee, I wonder what's going on, you know, uh, or, uh, you know, does she need help? I don't know. If it's in your head, ask, you know, and then hopefully you'll meet a nice blind person versus a not nice blind person. And because, you know, we all come in all different packages <laughs> and hopefully I'm nice that day because I could be not nice sometimes too, depending on what is going on in my life. But I, most of the time I try to be nice, but, you know, we'll tell you, I was like, oh no, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to find this, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to fumble around here for a while, then I'll figure it out. <laughs> or I, I might say, no, I'm really, yeah, I'm, I'm totally lost. The rain has distorted the sound on the sidewalk, and I have no idea where I'm at, and I can't figure out how to cross that street with or without that dog. And yeah, can you help me? So if it's in your head, ask us. We'll tell you. Mm, I think that's really interesting. Um, and. I think it kind of comes to like empathy, you know, like trying to put mm -hmm. yourself in someone else's shoes and mm -hmm. just trying to, trying to be helpful. Um, so right. that's really interesting. Yeah. So in your, in your time so far, um, we've outlined one of the things that, um, you know, society could do a better job of, not that there's a, sh you know, a short list of things society could do a better <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. thing of, um, but I'm, I'm really curious mm -hmm. growing up, what would you say are some of your, key lessons and learnings that you know you you feel having gone through this experience everyone should take on board whether you have some kind of impairment visually or not so what would i've liked to had had done differently growing up Is so i i'm wondering having had this experience what are some of the key learnings you think mm -hmm. that everyone could um everyone could take whether you have a visual impairment or not treat everybody as equal uh that's one of them that i guess has just kind of come up and that we all have value and and i guess another one is that um people are afraid i think to be vulnerable and to be authentic and i think that's the only way to heal ourselves and our relationships with one another is to be willing to be who we really really are and really be because we all have something you know mine's mine's pretty apparent i wear mine kind of on the outside you know it's blind and and i get to cope with that every day most of the time i'm i'm, I'm fine with it but i do run into walls and i just go oh, really still blind which is what i always say because in my head i'm not but <laughs> my friends would go why do you say that i go i don't know maybe because i think i'm not but i really am and oh yeah still blind you know so I, I keep expecting me not to run into that wall but bam i do and how do i handle that doing that but it's okay to because a lot of people wear their challenges on the inside and and nobody knows and so i think it's it's your obligation to let people know what you're thinking and what you're feeling and what you need and because none of us are mind readers and we're not walking in your shoes. So I think it's it's okay to be who you are and to let us know who you are. And 
just as if blind, I mean, blindness, this is one part of me, but I've had physical abuse as a child. I've had mental abuse. I've been depressed. I've been suicidal. I mean, there's all those other parts of me that don't really play in my life now, but I'm sure they affect my psyche here and there as they, you know, cause, cause you know, I'm a whole package from birth to now, but mostly I've, I've walked through all that thanks to therapy, but it, it's, we all have stuff and how, how we overcome that. And, and my choice is I don't want to be a victim. So um, I, I did everything so I wouldn't blame myself and blame others. I, I, you know, I want to take responsibility for me. And so I'm going on a tangent and I've just totally forgot what you asked. Wow. Um, and probably lessons people learn. So be real, be authentic. Uh, I think some of my other ones are, um, yeah, be, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to, I have, I have two more, you know, like, well, some of them is like be alignment with your faith, um, be authentic, um, have an attitude of positivity. And at the end of the day, you have to take action. And then my other ones are, you know, like don't, it's okay to be vulnerable. Don't be a victim. I say that a million times to one of my friends, quit being a victim. Because <laughs> uh, tries to see your vision and be, you know, live a life of vitality. So those are like the three V's or the four V's and I have the four A's kind of going on. I kind of toss between the different ones, but you know, it's, it's okay to be you. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. It's okay to be you. And there was a lot you were seeing that really resonated there. Also, I really commend you on your, on your memory because there's been a couple of times now when you've said, what did you ask? Oh yeah, you asked me this. And <laughs> as you were saying that, I was thinking, actually, what did I ask? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think what we were saying about having a good memory, I think, you know, there's, there's probably some truth to that actually. Um, so yeah, like there was a lot that you're saying that be, be vulnerable and wear your, wear your scars on your outside. I, I think that's a really interesting concept because a lot of us like to deal with our challenges in silence and mm -hmm. you know particularly this last year it's been quite challenging for 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 everyone and i think it's had its opportunities to to grow but it's also had its fair share of just challenges and, and suffering and um as we've all been isolated it's been harder to share what we've been going through mm -hmm. um i'm really curious as to why you think it's important that we do share like our challenges and we do tell people like how we're feeling why do you think that's important sort of like with therapy too i mean the the reason therapy works is because we're sitting as the client and we're speaking it out loud to another being and it, and this being just happens to be a professional and knows how to elicit more feelings out like how do you feel you know what do you where do you feel that in your body i don't feel it anywhere well, yes you do where you know <laughs> and so that um it helps draw that out and i think the same way with when we're talking to somebody else or just me journaling you know it's a sink it has to come out of your head otherwise yeah it just stays there and it's not healthy um uh, we ha we have to either speak it out or run it out or walk it out or write it. it if it stays in we're going to get more disease because it gets it's like trapped in there so it's really important always to get whatever the feelings are out good and bad good or i shouldn't say bad because that makes it you know like sadness is bad it's not i i you know the more healing 
you do, the more, you know, crying really sets you free. You know, if you get to cry your grief out, if you hold it in, you're going to make yourself sick somewhere in your body because that energy has to go somewhere eventually. And if you don't get it out, it stays in your body. And that's what one way to cause disease. So you don't want to cause disease, you know, if, if, if at all possible. So it's really important to get it out. I think that's so interesting, that last point that you touched on, the idea that our pent-up emotional energy can contribute to disease. And this is a, th a theme that I've been coming across in some of my reading and listening lately. I was listening to uh, another podcast by a um, someone I really look up to. His name is Ben Greenfield. It's a pod podcast around like fitness and, and health, and I'm, I'm very into that as well. Um, and he was talking about, he had a guest on and he was talking about how your um, emotions can lead to sickness and disease. And for me, I've, I've had a couple of challenges with my own health the past three, four years. And I noticed now, thankfully, I feel like I'm, I'm in a much better place. And if I look back, I also feel like I'm in a much better place, like emotionally as well. And I don't think that it's you know, I think those two things are very connected. Um, you know, I, I'm starting to see now just how much your emotional state can impact your physical health, because we all talk about how stress is bad for you. And it's, you know, contributes to disease and whatnot. But I think it's a bit broader than that. You know, I think, you know, the whole spectrum of emotions can have an impact on you. If you if you're feeling happy, for example, it's been shown that that can actually trigger genes that contribute to better health. Like they say, laughter is the best medicine. There is right. some scientific truth yeah. to that. Right. Curing cancer, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stories of people that they may hear a, they may hear some, you know, bad news. They may get some kind of diagnosis that, mm -hmm. um, for some serious illness and then they retreat to like this peaceful area and then all of a sudden like the tumor goes away and right you know, right wow yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. absolutely um, you hear about that all the time yeah i i think there's a a little bit of reality at first you go oh my gosh i, I think very few of us would go oh tumor yay you know <laughs> i don't think we'd do that right away but but certainly soon after to go oh the light of whatever you believe that surrounds me and folds me and is healing me, you know, and I am healed, you know, it's better to say I am healed than it is. I'm dying. I mean, what does that put into your body and your psyche? You know, or how many times do you hear people say I'm old? I'm old. Oh yeah, I'm old. And, and then they, they walk old, they talk old. And um, I, for example, I had a woman once I went out selling a house and she said something about being, I too old to be in, I had, had there's some lofts in my house. And uh, I mean, you just go up normal staircase, but she said, I'm too old to do that. And so when the wheelchair left, I said, how old was she? She goes 45. And I went 45. And, and her voice sounded 45. So, I mean, her voice sounded 90. So oh, I'm, I'm just, and I went, wow, she's telling herself that she cannot climb two flights of stairs at 45. Really? 
climb to Sydney Harbor Bridge, it's 67. So, hey, I don't know. But you know, I know, but it's like, really, but it, it's all in your head. You know, I never say to myself, I'm old. Never. I never say that. You know, I, I, I'm always shocked. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I guess that could be happening. Okay. But I never say I'm, I'm old. When I had a, my third CNI dog, he was 15 and a half when he died. And he was, he was golden and then he was um, all white. And he turned all white when he was like eight. He was starting to go white at four and then he turned all white at eight. And people would say, how old is he? And I'd go, and even when he was 15 and a half, I'd say, he's eight. And in my head, I'd say, plus seven <laughs> or nine or whatever it is. <laughs> so, so now I can't do math there. Um, but he would... Eight and eight, 16. So it had to be seven. I was right to begin with. There, shoo. Uh, <laughs> so he, and, but if I would say 15, people would go, oh, he's old. You know, so it's all what I put in their heads. And, and, you know, 15 and a half is great for a golden retriever. You know? That's, that's amazing. And yeah, um, yeah I, I think there's so much truth to the power of what you tell yourself and mm-hmm. particularly something interesting that I learned is our our minds they are very impressionable even to our own internal dialogue so if you start telling yourself as you mentioned like I'm old well guess what the mind's really powerful so it will do what it can to make that a reality so it's 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 awesome and you know there is you know only we also have to be reasonable, right? Like you, you can't think I have like superpowers. And <laughs> right, right, right. I, I know, well, I, A, I don't have the desire, but I'm not going to go <laughs> climb uh, Mount Everest. I have no desire to be at sub-zero degrees. That, that's for one. I don't, I like being warm better than cold. So, uh, you know, maybe if it was a warm mountain, maybe, but you know, <laughs> if, I, if I could be at, you know, 70 degrees all the way up. Okay. Um, and, you know, and uh, why else do I w- don't want to do it? I just, yeah, belaying back down. Yeah, no, that's not my thing. You know, I just, I don't have any desire to do that. But mm. I could if that, you know, I don't have any desire to, now I would like to go up in space. I think that'd be kind of fun, but I don't want to be the scientist. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to do all that math. <laughs> this is on me so yeah yeah i'm not i don't have superpowers yeah i'm not going to go run 13 miles today because that's not you know i i i just i haven't trained up to doing it could i do it maybe maybe if i had to desire but i i don't have that desire i just have enough to you know walk one to five miles depending on the dog the day the circumstance and that's fine for me i don't need to be super super gale you know i don't don't have that desire (laughs) well for what it's worth i think you uh you already are a super gale Um, well i like that yeah 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 Um, i'm just not gonna go run a marathon (laughs) (laughs) or what do you call those iron man races yeah that's not me (laughs) oh my goodness there are so many that you've got like iron man spartans oh um, yeah yeah Mm. there's tough mudders um so yeah Yeah, there's yeah there's a there's a lot if you're crazy um then you you can go do one of those yeah 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 no 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 i don't think so (laughs) (laughs) but that's uh that's that's awesome so gail i'm i'm really curious um i am huge into technology and, and we were talking about this a little bit before starting um 
do you i'm really curious in you know throughout the past uh couple of years how have you seen technology evolve to help you be you and what kind of uh technologies and tools have really like empowered you in the past couple of years well yeah night and day between when i was a kid and now uh when i was a kid we used to write braille with a piece of paper between two pieces of metal called a slate and we'd poke it with a little thing almost like an ice pick called a stylus and we'd punch in each dot by hand let me tell you how how tired your hand got by doing that (laughs) like and back in my day we had reel-to-reel tape recorders and to take notes with and that's how our books came on was reel-to-reel tapes and um canes are still the same as they were and and probably dogs you know they had those but i didn't have those nowadays i have a laptop computer uh jaws is my screen reading system on that uh told you know emails like the best thing since toast so i can you know you can write to people now and, and back and forth so there's an idea zoom you know now with the pandemic i've learned that i've learned how to record on it something else I learned. Oh, I did screen share the other day. It's like, woohoo, I did that. So I was like, yeah, I am teachable. Um, Because there's a lot more savvy blind people sometimes than me. But, you know, it's like, wow, I did that. Um, The iPhone, awesome. Uh, Not just from all the apps it has. And it comes already there that with the voiceover on it. So you can, um, once you turn it on, it's, it's, you can read the screen with your finger and know what's going on there. Sometimes these are a little annoying. So it's like, but Anyway, for the most part, it's good. <laughs> um, one of the apps that I really like for the iPhone is called Ira, and they are pretty, I think they're pretty worldwide. Um, and Ira is, they have a somebody, lots of somebody's all around the world. Uh, and I think they pay them to uh, help blind people, but it's almost like FaceTiming. So you FaceTime somebody and they can tell you what color your shirt is, or if you dropped a, a pill on the floor, where it's at before the dog gets it, or, uh, you know, where the light pole is for crossing the street, or they can do um, or read labels to cans or w- whatever else, you know, might be needed. But they also can take over the computer through the Team Viewer app. And I have them, or they read my mail. That's one of the other things they, I have them do all the time. But the, um, but through the Team Viewer app, they can take over the computer and fill out forms for me on online or go look up things on websites. And I have them do that all the time for, for example, for podcasts and some hosts have you fill out all this stuff. It's like, really, you want my whole life? Oh my God. So, but it's inaccessible to me. So I just call Ira and say, Hey, do this for me. And they take it over and they do it. So that's one of the cool things that since websites aren't real accessible, that, that, that makes it, more doable. Uh, I also have Alexa in my house. My brother gave me that for Christmas. So that's kind of fun. Um, and it, it's one of those, I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's one of those Alexas that have um, a screen in front of it. So you can supposedly hold a can up to her and say, what am I holding? And supposedly it's supposed to be able to tell you, you know, it's a can of this or that. I can't get that part quite to figure out why to work, but I know, I know it's there, but I think because of that, I have turned on CNN news and stuff. And I go, I bet if, if I didn't have that screen, I wouldn't be able to do that. So that's, that's kind of cool. Um, what other technologies do I have? 
I'm thinking through, those are my main ones. Oh, I have a talking bathroom scale. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably people that are, sometimes people come in and they use it and they go, don't listen. I go, oh yeah, I'll try to turn those ears off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let me, let me know how that works out for you. But uh, yeah, everything is either brailled, you know, like I have my washer and dryer brailed with, you know, the, the things on that, um, or it talks or, or I have some kind of, for the, um, I live in apartment building, so the, the uh, treadmill and the, the bike and the elliptical, I put little dots on them so I know where the start buttons are and, and the mm. speeds and all that. So I, I mean, mm. I mean, I can do it without, but it's way easier with my little buttons. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. That's awesome. It's really I'm so happy to hear that technology has improved the quality of your life in the past couple of oh, years. Oh yeah, I was just thinking for reading books, like instead of having big braille books, like we used to before, now I read them on my iPhone, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, from the library for the blind. So it used to be the library for the blind would send out cassettes or reels or records. I remember the record days um, <laughs> and, and cassettes and now, I think some older people do cartridges with the books on them, but I just do it on my phone with the library and it's great. You know, it's like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Gail, we're just coming up to the top of the hour and it's been an absolute pleasure getting to have this conversation with you. I think you have shared so many interesting stories and valuable insights that so many of us can, can learn from just before we wrap up. If, there is someone out there who would love to learn more about you or your story. How can they find out more? They can find out more by several ways. Um, my whole thing is about flying. So if you remember Gail and flying, but you know, so my book is called Soaring into Greatness and that's on Amazon. And then you think Soaring into Greatness, why that's the name of her website as well. It's Soaring into greatness, and I'm on Instagram. What soaring dot into dot greatness? Woo! Um, what else am I on? Uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm on all those platforms. YouTube, and then um, then you could if you want to email me. Oh, it's Gail at what soaring into greatness dot com. But that's all through our website. So just try to remember. She doesn't like flying because that's just flying's kind of mediocre. She wants to soar. And then greatness, you know, so, yeah, because we all, I, I want to have higher expectations of myself than lower. So it's also to motivate myself that, you know, I can be more than who I am and you and anybody else can be more than they are. You know, we, we all tend to have lower expectations of ourselves and at the end of the day, you know, don't be afraid to be great. Mm. I think that's some powerful advice. And so there you have it, folks, soaring into greatness. I'll make sure to leave some links in the show notes so that all of you can check that out. And do be sure to learn more about Gail and her incredible story. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the show. In Your Element uncovers stories and ideas of people living in their element. If you know someone who has a great story or have a story of your own you'd like to share, then get in touch and join our growing community at inyourelement.fm. I would love to see you back here for next episode. As always, 
keep being you, keep crushing life, and keep finding your element. I'll see you in the next one.